Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of smoldering hellscapes. I'm Paul Bresson. Wow, what an intro. Uh, I'm Jason Neeling, and today we are talking about one of Japan's three most sacred places. This place is called Osorezan, or Mount Osore, which translates to something like Mount Fear, or Dread Mountain. I like that, Dread Mountain. Yeah, that does sound pretty cool. Reminds me of uh, Grumble Volcano from Mario Kart. <laughs> ah, such a good board. Yeah. So this place is located in Aomori Prefecture at the northern tip of Honshu on the Shimokita Peninsula, pretty much as far north as you can get on that big main island of Japan. Yeah. And what is so awesome about it is that this mountain is actually an active volcano and inside the caldera, which is that big crater-looking thing at the top of a volcano, there's a Buddhist temple in the caldera called Bodaiji. And it is believed in Japanese mythology to be one of the gates to the underworld. Pretty awesome. I saw someone call it anti-Disneyland. I thought that was pretty fun. <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. Um, it is an active volcano. It's been about 10,000 years since it erupted, but it's still emitting steam and volcanic gases, especially sulfur dioxide, from all these little bubbling, oozing cracks in the crater. So you get this powerful sulfur smell, mm -hmm. which is part of what makes it feel like hell. Yeah. Have you heard that before, like the idea of sulfur being connected with the underworld or hell or whatever? I think I have. I don't know where it came from, though. Yeah, I, I kind of looked into that a little bit because I'd heard about that on the show Supernatural. Have you seen that show? No. They're always talking about how when you smell sulfur in the air, that's like a sign that the demons are close or something. Okay. But that was the only place I'd heard it, I think. So I looked into it and apparently that connection has been there for hundreds of years because people connected the underworld with underground and when they dug down into the earth there's a lot of sulfur down there okay yeah that makes sense mm -hmm. there's also a lake in the crater lake usori highly acidic waters of course because yeah. all the stuff is bubbling into that lake as well yeah almost nothing can live in there because it's so acidic but that sulfur in the water actually makes it really pretty. A lot of various shades of blue. Yeah. Yeah, the whole place looks great, mm -hmm. if not desolate. Well, I saw that. So like it's supposed to bring to mind these images of Buddhist hell, but then the lake is also supposed to be imagery of the Buddhist paradise. So you have this contrast between paradise and hell in the same place. There are also female mediums called Itako that are famous for performing on this mountain. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that a lot more later. Yeah. But there's some communing with the dead going on here as well. Yeah. It's that, a big part of what happens. Yeah, that's like a big part of just the idea around this place is that this is the place where people in Japan go to connect with the dead. Yes, yes, exactly. So a lot of tourists go here, but a lot of people also go here to grieve or to try to commune with the dead. Or pray or be, for a dead relatives. Yeah, be closer to someone who's dead. Yeah. Should we talk a bit about the history? Yeah. So the mountain used to be called Usoriyama by the Ainu people. 
the indigenous peoples of northern Japan. But the name was eventually changed to Osore by the Japanese, and it has been considered a sacred place for over 1,100 years. Bodaiji, the name of the temple there, was founded in 862 by the famous monk Enin uh, with Jizo Osatsu as its main image. Mm -hmm. I got a little story about how it was founded, actually. Okay. So Enin, this monk, he was studying in China and he received a revelation from Buddha in a dream. Buddha came to him and said, you will find a holy mountain after a 30 days trip after you return to your country. So Enin came back to Japan from China and then he just started walking and he was looking around for a sacred mountain that resembled the world of Buddha. And after walking 30 days from Kyoto, he came across Osorizan and, you know, just the geological characteristics of the place reminded him of the Buddhist paradise and hell. So he's like, oh, this must be the spot. And part of the reason he thought this looked like the world of the Buddha was that there are these eight mountain peaks around the lake that are supposed to represent the eight-petal lotus, which symbolizes the world of the Buddha. I just got to say, how fast was this dude walking? From Kyoto to the northern tip of Honshu in 30 days? I almost calculated like how far he would have to walk every day. You should have. You should have. Yeah, my bad. 20 miles a day. There are some Buddhist monks in Japan that run 50 miles a day for years straight. Wow. Which is nuts. Yeah. It's just nuts. I feel like I've heard about a lot of like pilgrimage kind of places, like paths that people will walk along for weeks to visit all these temples and stuff. So, I don't know, maybe monks were walking around a lot. Yeah, you get used to it. Yeah. It was the only way to get around. Uh, The temple was abandoned in 1457, restored again in 1530, Mm -hmm. been occupied since then to the present day. Yep. In the Meiji period, the late 1800s, they started mining sulfur deposits there, but that didn't last too long because of the remoteness of the site. It was hard to get to. And the fact that sulfur was becoming more available because it was a byproduct of petroleum refining. Yep. And it looks like it was around the mid-1950s when Osorezan caught the attention of the media and started gaining popularity across the country, mostly because of that connection with the dead. People would go to visit the dead or speak to the dead. And uh, that feature kind of makes it unique among Japanese temples. Uh, And before that whole media thing... It sounds like it wasn't really that well known because it was in a pretty rural part of Japan. Yeah, and during the Meiji era, a lot of the supernatural stuff was discouraged, you know, like mediums communing with the dead. The government didn't like that sort of stuff, so Mm -hmm. you had to do that stuff low-key. It was just a tougher time for things like that. So I'm sure the locals all still like cared and went there, but it it wasn't a big thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in the 1950s, The media played it up as like a way of Japan returning to its cultural heritage. It became a real cultural thing. Like this is a Japanese thing that we can all buy into. So let's talk about what your experience is going to be like if you go here. Yeah. I think it starts on the bus. Uh You start smelling that sulfur smell as you're climbing up the mountain. And then when the doors open on the bus to let you out, boom, you just get hit with it even 10 times harder. Lovely. 
immediately you feel like you're in hell, right? <laughs> yeah. The ground is gray and barren. There's openings that are steaming and bubbling. Bubbling pits, spewing noxious fumes, I saw. Kind of sounds like hell. Yeah. There are also a bunch of pit vipers around. So, you know, venomous snakes, that's... Yeah, the mabushi. I end up reading a bit about them. I was like, oh, what is this? They're the most venomous snake in Japan. Yeah. And you usually have to go to the hospital for a week or two and get treated if you get bit by one. They People fairly rarely die from it, but it's like a serious bite. And there's signs all over the place telling you to look out for the vipers. Mm-hmm. So don't go sticking your foot or your hand in holes or under rocks. Yeah. Just be careful. You don't need to be scared away by that, though. You try to catch a glimpse of uh, the one fish species that survives in the lake. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that there are supposed to be 108 pools of boiling mud corresponding to the 108 worldly desires in Buddhism. Okay. And another little hellish element is that it's supposed to be eerily quiet. You won't hear any animals or natural sounds around except for some crows that like to hang around. (laughs) That's kind of creepy. Yeah, that is creepy. Crows, isn't that totally like death incarnate or something? Yeah. Blackbirds. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the eight peaks that correspond with the descriptions of Buddhist hell. And then there's that lake. You know, we mentioned Lake Usori, which is really pretty. It's got like white sand beaches. And, you know, like I mentioned, this is supposed to resemble paradise. So you got hell right next to this beautiful paradise lake. It's all these bright shades of blue. And green and yellow. Like, yeah. I, it sounds like there are a lot of different colors you can see in there. Yeah, I think it depends on how many minerals are in each part at each time. Since gases are constantly being released, it probably changes. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. Okay, so this next part is my favorite part of this whole place. There is a stream that leads to that lake and is supposed to represent the Sanzu River, which means the river of three crossings. So this river appears in Buddhist mythology, and the idea is that the souls of the deceased have to cross the river to get to the afterlife. A lot like the river Styx, you might have heard of from Greek mythology. Same kind of idea. Yeah. So you're going to see a little red arched bridge over the stream. And I saw that if you have led a virtuous life and you die, you won't have any trouble getting across the bridge. You know, it'll be clear as day right there in front of you. You just stroll across it and, you know, it's all good. But if you're an evil person, you might not even be able to see the bridge. Did you hear about this, Paul? Yeah. So it might appear to you as nothing but the slightest hint of mist, or it might even appear to be made of needles. So you can't cross it. Evil people cannot cross the bridge. You might just have to wade across the stream. Got to get your feet wet. Or if you're an even worse person, you might have to go for the third option which is to swim across deep serpent-infested waters. So those are the three crossings that it gets its name from. Okay. The part that I find sad about it is that when children die before their parents, it's considered bad karma because they make their parents so sad. So the children are weighed down with this bad karma and can't cross the river to get into the afterlife. Doesn't it seem really unfair that they're punished for dying so young? Yeah, I want to be like, who the hell came up with this? Like, that's not fair at all. Like, you should have came up with a better story. 
Yeah. That's probably really disrespectful to Buddhist people, but those are my thoughts. All right. <laughs> so there's a lot to do with dead children here. Yes. Unfortunately. Like yes. a lot of a lot of parents of dead babies and dead children come here to help their kids cross the river. The kids are said to build piles of pebbles alongside the river to help them reach into heaven. I've seen some sources that said to help them reach into heaven and some sources that said to help them reach to the other side. So basically the situation I think is that these kids are stuck in limbo, right? They're in a, a sort of purgatory and this riverbank that they're stuck on is called Sainokawara. And my understanding is that it's their duty, their penance to build these piles of pebbles so that they can climb the piles of rocks to climb to paradise. Okay. So you will see piles of stones all along the river. Mm-hmm. You also see a lot of statues of Jizo. Yep. He helps kids. We'll get into that more. We'll talk a lot about Jizo and who he is and what he does. Yeah, he's a good dude. Um, but he helps, he helps the kids and protects them as like a parent would. Right. So yeah, these little piles of pebbles... Like you can add on to those if you feel like helping the souls of these dead children, you know. A lot of them might be built by parents of children that have died that come there to try to help the souls of their deceased children. You might see a lot of pinwheels around too or yeah. little kids' toys. Yeah. Kind of as, as offerings. Yeah. So Mount Osore is kind of conceived as just a vast memorializing system. Mm-hmm. You've got the temple, the river, the statues of Jizo the parents coming to grieve. It's all part of the same thing going on. Yeah. You read about who who knocks down those piles of pebbles, right? The demons. Yeah. Bad dudes. Yeah, there's demons tormenting these kids, trying to stop them from getting into heaven. Yeah. They'll come and knock down the pebbles. I saw that they will torment the children's souls with memories of the happiness they knew as living children. Wow. Yeah. Demons, you demons. They're not nice. Not nice guys. But, you know, Jizo, like you said, is there to protect them. I saw that when the demons come to knock down those piles of pebbles, all the little kids jump into Jizo's sleeves because he has these big, comfy sleeves. And, uh, you know, the the little children's souls are safe and warm in his sleeves. Mm -hmm. That's how he protects them. He hides them from the demons. Mm Mm-hmm. On those stacks of pebbles, you might also see some coins. There's also a belief that souls need to pay their way across the river with six gold coins. Another familiarity with the Greek myths. Yeah. And I thought this was kind of an interesting little... There's all just these little hellish things about this place, you know? Apparently those coins, because of all the sulfur in the air, the coins quickly turn black <laughs> when you place them there. Wow. Yeah. So Osorizan is a well-known destination and the temple has modern overnight lodging and you can get a vegetarian dinner and breakfast if you stay there. There's also a hot spring that uh, you can bathe in whether you're staying at the temple or not. Mm -hmm. I saw that the water smells strongly of sulfur though. Not surprised. (laughs) Yeah. But everything there does. So whatever, you're probably just used to it by then. Yeah, but... I mean, if you bathe in there, I saw somebody warning that you will probably smell like eggs for a couple of days after, you, <laughs> after spending time in that hot spring. But it's supposed to keep your skin smooth and soft. So 
you're on like the bullet train the next day and whatever. It's like, it smells like rotten eggs. Like, yeah. Oh no, that's just me, guys. Yeah, but check out how smooth my skin is. Just feel this. It's amazing. Worth it. <laughs> so along with the hot springs, there are some hells. Paul, you remember we talked about the hells in Beppu? Sounds familiar. In the uh, Kyushu episode? Yeah, yeah. There are hells at Osorizan too. These are hot springs with a bunch of crazy colors in them. There's a path called Hell Road that you can follow that goes past all these different hells. And they have fun names too. One one hell is called the Lake of Blood. Okay. Yeah. I kind of want to see that. Apparently it is blood red from the moss that grows in there. Oh, what? Yeah. There's another one called Mukenjigoku. This is supposed to be the most painful of the eight types of hells in Buddhism. It brings constant pain and suffering. I'm down. Yeah. Sounds fun, right? Yeah, I'm into that. There's also a fountain of youth there. Eh, eh, whatever. Not interested? Eh, you know. I just heard you talking about how you're getting so old and stuff. Yes, you're right. But the fountain of youth would deprive you of the experience of life. It all comes together. You're born, you grow old, you die. That's the full life experience, and I want it all. Okay, but if you get old and then you go to the fountain of youth and like take off 20 years, then you can just relive those 20 years. It's like you're doubling up on life experience. All right, as long as I eventually die at some point. Yeah. I don't want to live forever. Yeah, no, I don't think, let's see, I have details about how this- If it just helps you live a little bit longer, then yes, I'm, I'm all in. So the fresh spring water flowing from this fountain, they say that if you drink one cup, it makes you 10 years younger. But you drink it? Yeah. Oh. So one cup, 10 years younger. Two cups makes you 20 years younger. But you can't get too greedy because if you drink a third cup, after that, you get younger and younger until you die. Okay. So you got to just come back every 10 years. Sounds awful. Yeah. You'd eventually get so young, you wouldn't be able to understand what was happening to you anymore. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the same as getting too old, though. What was that movie? Ben, Benjamin Button? Yeah. Brad Pitt, right? Yeah. I don't think I ever I, saw I that. I didn't either, but I think that was, yeah. He was born an old man and then lived to become a baby or something. Yeah. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, is that it? I think that's it. Yeah, I heard it was pretty good. I just never seen it. That was a long time ago. Isn't that a really old movie uh, now? 10 years, something like that. It all blends together. I can't, I couldn't tell you what was two years ago and what was 10 years ago. I know. I got to get to this fountain of youth. It's been four years since we went to Japan together. It's been too long. That doesn't seem like that, like it was four years ago. Yeah. But I mean, we would have gone probably this past fall or something already if if we were able to. As soon as things open up, I'm, I'm getting a ticket. I got over two weeks of PTO saved up. I'm ready to go. Nice. So let's talk about Jizo. Jizo the man. He is a or cool woman, dude. I don't know. I heard a lot of resources refer to Jizo as they, and I'm not sure oh. if it was just weird translations or maybe because a bodhisattva can be a man or a woman or whatever. It doesn't matter. Hmm. I don't know. I remember when we did the Fushimi Inari. No, no. We did talk about Jizo in the Kyumizu episode. Oh, that's the episode I'm thinking of, Kanon. We talked about Kanon. Oh, you're right, you're right. And Kanon, it wasn't clear if it was man or woman or a group of people. Yeah. Maybe Jizo is kind of the same sort of situation. Originally from India. Yeah. Like Buddhism is. Yeah. So I did draw a parallel between Kanon and Jizo because we talked about how there are a bunch of different versions of Kanon for different situations. Yeah. 
you know, over time it became kind of a commie that can apply to all, all sorts of different situations. And I feel like that sort of thing kind of happened with Jizo too, maybe. There's definitely a few big areas where Jizo is very different, it seems. Yeah. So uh, just to give a little background, he's also called Jizo Bosatsu. Bosatsu means bodhisattva. And in Buddhist mythology, these are people who can ascend to nirvana, but they decide to stay behind to help other people get there. Yeah. So That's Jizo, so nice. Yeah. These are good, good people. So Jizo vowed not to achieve Buddhahood until all souls trapped in hell are freed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, it's a big commitment. You're going to be waiting a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like you said, he's from Indian Buddhism, but he's actually bigger in Japan, Korea, and China than he is in India or Tibet. Yeah. Blew up in East Asia. Mm-hmm. To the point where Jizo is a saint-like figure in Japanese Buddhism. Yeah, you really see him all over the place. So what is he the guardian of? What does he do? Who does he help? He protects firemen. It's just like a random thing. Okay. <laughs> but he's also the protector of travelers and children as well. Those were the three biggest ones I found. But there's other places where they ascribe to him doing other things too. Yeah. You'll see a lot of Jizo statues along roads too, because the travelers thing. Right, definitely. With Osorezan, it seems like the focus is really on the dead children, yes, right? Yes, yes. The unborn, so like miscarriages, and those who die in childbirth, either the child or the mother. Like he's also oh, a, a guardian, that. a patron saint of expectant mothers. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. So really, he just wants to help everybody out. So people will make offerings to Jizo in thanks for saving their children from illness. People will leave toys and kids' clothing at Jizo statues to ask him to protect their children. This is true at Osorezan, but also any other place you find Jizo, you might find children's toys, candy bars, things like that. Okay, so you, you said it was unclear if Jizo was male or female? At least that's from what I saw. I wasn't sure. Yeah, I saw some source that said originally Jizo was female, but these days he's almost always portrayed as male. Interesting. So there's some sort of switch at some Interesting. point. Interesting. And, you know, visually he can appear in a lot of different ways, but usually he looks kind of like a monk with a shaved head. Yeah. Sometimes he's holding a jingly staff thing that is supposed to warn insects and small creatures that he's coming, like a... Like he's wearing a collar with a bell on it. Like, yeah, so he doesn't accidentally like step on a bug and kill yeah, it. Yeah, that's nice. Very yeah. thoughtful. Sometimes he's holding a baby in his arms. Sometimes he himself looks really childlike. I've seen statues of Jizo that are just really tiny and cute and like these big round heads on them. One interesting note on the statues is you'll often see them with bibs or hats on. They're placed there by the parents hoping that he'll protect their children. So they're giving him like children's clothing as a symbol of their gratitude towards him. Yeah. The red color of those bibs is supposed to be the color for expelling demons and illness. Yeah. And they'll often be the small piles of rocks will be around his statues too. The same idea of crossing the river that you'll see at the river at Osorizan. Mm -hmm. You know, at certain places... Like just around Japan, I've seen even sometimes just rocks that people will put red bibs on as kind of a reference to Jizo, like mm. a, a prayer to Jizo. Even gravestones, sometimes people will put bibs on to kind of ask 
Jizo to help out whoever was buried there. At some temples, you can even buy little Jizo statues that you can set up to mourn for your deceased child. And sometimes you'll see little armies of these guys. Like, so many people have bought these statues and set them up. There are hundreds of them. So, even at temples that seem like they don't really have anything to do with Jizo, you might just see Jizo around. Yeah. Just very popular. Very popular in Japan. So let's talk about maybe the most interesting part of this whole thing, the otako. Yeah. So these are blind women who are mediums or channelers. The idea is that they claim to summon the souls of the dead and deliver messages from them. So they're very much related to Osorezan, this mountain, because it's the only place where they still exist, where they do their thing. But originally... They were all over the country. Like, this was not an isolated thing in some small rural town. In medieval times, this was actually one of the only occupations available for blind people. So, if you were born blind, you might just automatically become an Itako because there was no other option. Yeah, before Braille and all these other ways to like educate children, like, what would you even do if your child was blind? You wouldn't even know what to do or how to teach them anything or yeah. find a job for them. So, you'd probably just. Once they were a few years old, you'd probably just give them to an Itako and have them train them because that's the only future for them. Mm -hmm. I saw that some people think that the Itako arose from the Yamabushi. Do you remember the Yamabushi? Sounds familiar. That was the sect that the Tengu imagery was based off of. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. There's like this esoteric sect off in the mountains and it's connected with all this like supernatural kind of stuff, you know? But Paul, like you mentioned earlier, in the early Meiji era, Japan was modernizing. They, were, they really wanted to look good on the world stage. So they were trying to get rid of all the superstitions and occult arts, that kind of stuff. So the government actually banned Itako practices and they were forced out into the countryside. They were actually arresting Itako for spreading superstition and obstruction of medical practices. And they they were kind of pushed off into just this little area around Osorizan where they were still allowed to exist by the locals. But in the rest of the country, most people started seeing them as beggars and swindlers. Uh, not not a good good look for them. No. So it seems like over time, the country kind of forgot that they existed pretty much until around the 1960s, the media started picking up this idea that there were still Itako around Osorizan. And they kind of brought it back into the mainstream consciousness. But a lot of people still see them as charlatans. What do you think, Paul? I mean, I don't believe they're communicating with the dad. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Do you think there's cultural value there? Or do you see them kind of the same way as all those? Do you, do you remember in the 90s? I feel like there were a lot of TV shows in the 90s of like mediums doing this thing in front of a big studio audience where they're like, oh, let me talk to your dead grandma, you know? Yeah, I do remember that, and I hate those people. Mm -hmm. My feelings about the Otako are a little bit different, maybe partly because it's not my culture, so it doesn't hit as close to home, maybe partly because they just exist on this one mountain in rural Japan that's just there for grieving, maybe partly because traditionally they were blind and like this is all they had to do in life. So I don't feel like negative thoughts about them like I do with fortune tellers or people in America. 
that do this kind of stuff, especially the people doing TV shows. You know, John Edwards, I'm calling you out right now, right here. Like all your fake BS making loads of money off desperate people. Mm-hmm. It is kind of the same thing, but it just feels different to me for those reasons. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting because, I mean, I, I, I agree, obviously, that they're not speaking to dead people. And they kind of use a lot of the same techniques that the charlatan people do, like just figuring out ways of telling people things that are kind of vague enough that they're going to believe you, but specific enough that they're like, oh, you know, maybe this person really does have powers. But I guess there's that idea of so much tradition and history behind it that seems to give it some sort of credibility, even though it really is just the same thing. Yeah, I mean, if it does help people in their grieving process, I don't know if it does or not, but maybe it does. Yeah. And if it's for not a ridiculous amount of money then I don't really have a problem with it. You know, it's not something I would ever go do because I obviously wouldn't believe anything they told me. I've heard the argument that it can actually not be good for people that are like trying to grieve their dead loved ones. Because if you tell somebody something about their dead loved one that kind of casts them in a negative light or is just untrue about like the way that they died or the way that they lived, I don't know. It can be problematic to just give them this image that isn't based in reality at all. It's just something you made up, you know? Yeah. I've heard they often, the Itako will give a similar accounts based on how old the person was, I think, when they died. Mm-hmm. So they'll say a lot of the same stuff. They've got lines kind of that like work. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. I guess the way I think of it is like, this was just a job that blind people did historically because that was the only way for them to make any money to survive and i don't know it's kind of it's interesting that it's still around but it's not really necessary and you know in some cases can be harmful i think it's kind of like the blind person tax like we'll go pay this fee to get this thing and all the blind people can like live and survive now off Mm -hmm. of that just like in in los angeles you got to pay five cents per can of anything or bottle of anything you buy. And then you get it back when you recycle it, but nobody recycles their stuff. Just homeless people do. I always thought of that as the homeless tax. I just have to pay this extra five cents on every can of Mountain Dew I buy, you know, just so homeless people can afford to live. (laughs) It's not nearly enough. That's that's not not how we should be supporting homeless people. Oh man. For a while there, when there were like four or five of us living together, I swear we were like supporting this one guy's life. He would come by once a week and we would have like hundreds of cans for him. Hmm. He was always so happy. He was a cool dude. That's good. Then we wouldn't see him for a month and we'd be like, oh my God, he just went on a binge after he turned in that 200 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Probably not though. That's probably just our bias against homeless people. I'm sorry, homeless people. You're good people and you deserve everything that everyone else has to. Definitely. All right, enough with that tangent. Back to Itako. Yeah, that was a bit of a tangent. Um, okay, so traditionally, Itako were blind. I saw that that's not necessarily true these days. Not yeah. all of them are blind. There's less blind people because of modern medicine. Mm-hmm. And blind people have other options now, too. Yeah. But either way, if you were going to become an Itako, you had to go through extensive spiritual training and purification rituals. Yes. And being born blind kind of gave you a sort of sacred status, apparently. I feel like 
Have, have you heard, you know more about history and stuff than I do. Have you heard about that in other cultures? I feel like I've heard about some sort of connection before between blindness and like having this kind of supernatural sight. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like I've heard that referenced before in myths and stories. Or like the oracles, the three oracles. Where am I getting that from? Is that that a- was Greek thing? Delphi in, in Greece. And I don't think they were blind. Okay. I think they were virgins maybe or something. I might be mixing it up with some movie. I feel like I have an image in my head of some movie with these three women laying in like a pool and there are machines hooked up to their heads and they're like producing these uh, visions. You might be thinking about that Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. Pre- oh. Precogs. Yeah. It it's was two uh, guys and a woman. Two guys and a woman. Yeah. They predict murders before they happen. Oh, and the little ball rolls out. Yeah, I like that movie. It was a good movie. Uh, uh, something Report? Minority Report. Oh, thank you. Yes, Minority Report. That's what I was thinking. The Red Ball, premeditated murder. I don't remember that much about it. It's been too long since I saw it. But I do remember it being a cool movie. They weren't blind, though. I think they were like autistic or something. Okay. Whatever. I don't know. Okay, a lot of tangents in this episode, I guess. Okay, so this training. They had to go through training. It would start between ages of 11 to 13. And for about three years, they would study with priests, memorize songs and sutras. And there was this ritual where hundreds of buckets of ice water would be poured on them over the course of a few days. What? It sounds terrible. It sounds awful. Yeah. And then at the end of training, there was a ceremony announcing the marriage of the Itako and her patron Kami. That also sounds awful. I can't get married. For real? <laughs> Probably not. Well, I, guess. I guess. Who wants to marry like the weird person that talks to the dead? Yeah. Married to the job. I suppose Itako would belong to the Burakumin class, right? That lower, lowest class of society for the people that are associated with death. They might be, but they also don't touch dead bodies at all. True. And they also would come from all classes originally because it was more based on the blindness than on the anything else. So I don't know. That's a good, that's an interesting question. Mm. Anyway, so these days, it sounds like there are very few Itako, right? Not many around. And the ones that are around are really old. But the ones that are still around show up at a festival that is held on the mountain every summer and autumn, the Itako Taisai Festival. So people come from all over the country or all over the world, to get messages from their deceased loved ones. Yeah, the Itako start performing purification rituals three months prior to these festivals. And then during the festival, they enter into deep, prolonged trances to speak with the dead. And I basically, as I understand it, people pay them, and then they give them a message from their deceased. Mm-hmm. They set up these little tents next to the temple, but we should specify these are not, this stuff isn't happening on the temple grounds. And the temple actually has signs up saying that they have nothing to do with the Itako. Like they, they tolerate their presence, but the temple is quick to point out these Itako are not officially associated with us. Yeah, I saw that and I totally understand why they do that. But then at the same time, I'm kind of like, but the temple holds the festival. I don't think they do. It, it kind of sounded like they did. I don't know. I don't know. It seemed to me like the festival was just about the Itako 
and being able to go talk to your dead relatives, but it wasn't endorsed by the temple. That's the impression I got. Either way, the temple probably doesn't mind all the extra visitors. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, the Itako have uh, rosaries of soap berries that they rub while they're doing their trance. I saw the rosaries might also have things like old coins and, get this, the teeth, claws, and bones of wild animals. Yep, yep. It's kind of awesome. That kind of makes them look like that old school, like, uh, medicine man type of thing, you yeah, know? Yeah, So the ritual itself where they're, they're channeling a spirit is called Kuchiyose. And uh, they, like, they're not just delivering messages from your loved one. They're supposedly speaking in the voice of your loved one. Like, they're taking in the spirit of that person and letting them speak through their body. Yeah. I saw the, this festival described as extremely intense and not for everyone. I bet it's incredibly emotional. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even want to like go listen in like these people are in their moments of grief trying to hear from their loved one. I don't think I'd want to sit there and like spectate that. Yeah. It sounds like it would be an in- uncomfortable thing to be around. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. And if you decide to go to this festival and talk to your dead loved ones, you should probably know that if you do manage to get in touch with your dead relatives, they will speak to you in Japanese. Yes. But not even standard Japanese. A lot of these Itako deliver these messages in a local dialect that might not be easy to understand even if you do speak Japanese. I think I read a story about some people that went there and they... They kept asking for like a translation into standard Japanese and the Itako was eventually like, well, you used up all your time like asking me to translate. So that's, that's all you get, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so interesting tradition, but from what I saw, it looks like the tradition doesn't really have much time left. Maybe I was looking for like recent articles about this. And from what I saw, it looked like in 2009, only four Itako showed up to the festival. And that was down from the 20 that showed up 10 years before that. But, you know, even four in 2009, that's over 10 years ago now. I wonder how many of them are even showing up anymore. I'm pretty sure I saw an article from last year, Mm. but it didn't say how many there were. It was a pretty brief, very overview article that I didn't really get anything new from. Mm. Well, I would say if you want to experience that, you probably want to get there pretty soon. Yeah, it's like an hour and ever. Yeah. You, you know, the temple will probably be there for a while. And yeah, definitely. If you want to see the Itako, they're not long for this world. Yep. All right, so if you're planning on visiting Osorizan, how are you going to get there? Yeah, you want to go to hell? Uh, you just got to go to the Mutsu bus terminal near Shimokita Station. And four to five buses per day operate from there to Osorizan. Takes about 45 minutes each way. Yep. About 810 yen, at least uh, last I heard from whatever article I read. Uh, No buses operate November through April because the temple is closed. Uh, It's probably pretty cold in northern Japan on the top of a mountain. The temple, I think, is open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it's 500 yen admittance. For adults, 400 yen for children. I don't care about children. I don't have any children. It doesn't matter to me, Jason. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But thanks for the info. No problem. And if you want to go during that Itako festival, you will have to rent a car. Those buses apparently don't run during the festival. What? Yeah, I don't know why. Interesting. 
Yeah. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I'm not going to throw wild speculation around this time. <laughs> okay. I think I've done that enough already. <laughs> That's all I got. What, you, got any, you got any other nuggets for us, Jason? Um, well, you already mentioned they have the temple lodging if you want to stay overnight there. Yes. And I, I highly recommend that. Like, I haven't stayed there, obviously, but you know, I stayed at, at a temple in Koyasan, and it sounds like you get pretty much the same experience here. You know, you'll get the vegetarian dinner and breakfast. You get to participate in the prayer ceremony in the morning. Just a really cool experience to get a, a taste of the culture that, you know, you don't often get to see. So, yeah, yeah, do that. It would be, it would seem like a really interesting, like chanting Buddhist prayers in like this hellscape. Yeah. Like it just seems like kind of a cool thing. Yeah. I love, I mean, you know, I've, I've mentioned before on the podcast and Paul, you know me very well personally that I'm all into that morbid, dark, creepy kind of stuff, but yes. I, I just love the sound of this place. Like I need to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you do. Yeah. I wouldn't mind going with you. Seems pretty cool. Let's do it. Oh, I was going to say we should do it when we go snowboarding up in Aomori Prefecture, but yeah, at that time it's closed. Yeah. yeah. have to go to Aomori twice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds like that's it. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can send us an email to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash sightseeingjapanpodcast. Paul, what are we talking about next time? On the next episode, we're talking about Kamakura. That will be fun. I spend a lot of time in Kamakura, and there's tons of cool stuff to see there. Good. You need to hype this one, because I haven't done any research yet. I don't even know how to hype it. Okay. Kamakura is uh, not too far from Tokyo. You can do an easy day trip from Tokyo, and it's just got tons of history and temples and like cool little shops. Like it, It's kind of a way to get outside of the hustle and bustle of Tokyo a bit and experience some of the history in a more laid-back setting. How's that? <laughs> Yeah, that sounds great. I think I remember hearing that there was a brief moment in time where it was the capital. Yeah, I think it was. You know, a thousand whatever years ago. There was a Kamakura shogunate, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, I think there was. So I bet there's a ton of history there. It yeah. Sounds like it was all the temples and everything. Yeah. Oh, and they got the Daibutsu, the giant Buddha. Oh, the, is that the one you can go inside of? Yeah. Okay. The one that was okay. shifted by that huge earthquake yeah okay yeah. this is gonna be a fun one yeah it will i can't wait to dive in and do my research me too all right thanks for listening see you next time <laughs>